for all of you gardeners out there, I just want to say, don't fall for it, okay? Don't, don't, don't do it because if you go outside and you get that, that tingling sensation that I should plow something and put something in the ground, just don't do it. it it's, it's not real yet, okay? Because you will regret it. <laughs> it's not over just yet, okay? But if you haven't started your peppers yet, I'm sorry. Uh, so, yes, I'm happy to say I have good-sized peppers. I even have purple cayenne peppers. I have a thing with purple. So we'll see how those go. I know, Sharon. I'll bring you a purple cayenne pepper. <clears throat> Chocolate habaneros as well. Yes, they're kind of shy to come up. Okay. Anyhow, that's, it's fascinating. So, well... Lots to talk about today. Um, every year, uh, when you're a, a minister, a preacher, a pastor, whatever, you think, what are we going to say about Easter this year, right? Because if you're not careful, you might end up preaching the same thing every year. But the truth of the matter is, if you're giving yourself to the Spirit and you're, and you're uh, reading your Bible like you should, there are numerous things to say about the resurrection, and you would have enough to preach through three lifetimes or more, and it'd always be different. So, quite simply today, I I simply want to admonish all of you on the risen Christ, because that's what we're dealing with here, is the risen Christ. Now, if you keep hearing something over and over again, after a while, you get used to it, okay? Okay? It's much like those who have perhaps been on a long diet where they cut all sugar out. It was gone. And then suddenly they went to Starbucks or I hope you don't. Charbucks as it's known. But let's say you have some, some, some kind of a blended drink, right? And that sugar's in there and you have that and it just sets you on your heels. Well, then you go back again and again again, and suddenly it's not quite as sweet as it was because you're getting used to it. And I I kind of think that's how it goes when it comes to American Christianity in our understanding that Jesus rose again. It's just part of our vernacular. Even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, even if you askew the church, you still have this understanding that the resurrection is what we do on this day. That's what we observe. You may not agree with it. You may hate it. But it's not something that no one knows about in our country. Now, you go elsewhere, probably, yes, for sure. So, the resurrection is where this all comes down to. As one, as one uh, reader, a writer I was reading recently said, it is the terminus aqua of... Everything we believe, which just simply means the point of origin from whence it comes. If there was no resurrection, there would be no reason to be here today. Right? It, when, when, when someone asks you to pray, you are inferring upon the resurrection. When someone says to you, have faith, quite honestly, that infers the resurrection. Where does faith come from without some kind of, let me say it again just because it's fun, terminus aqua, okay? 
<clears throat> I do believe it is Latin. Yeah. Sounds weird, but I like it. So, but we're talking, we are inferring the resurrection. We have a Bible because of the resurrection. In fact, imagine what would your life look like in, in reality and experience were there no resurrection? Mark 16, 1 through 16. I want to read there this morning. In honor of God and His Word, let us stand as we read from the pages of Scripture. Mark 16, 1 through 16. Okay. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. In other words, I like how they emphasized that. See the place where they laid him, and they emphasized it again. But go... Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee, and there you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and from the tomb, for they trembled and they were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary, out of whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept, and when they heard that he was alive, and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went to the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe. And later, he appeared to the eleven, and that, as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe is condemned. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for the majesty of it. We thank you for the mystery of the tremendous power of God as it is revealed in the resurrection and the empty tomb. But God, let us not read past the scripture and what it says about the hearts of those who actually spent time with the Lord Jesus in the flesh as they fully expected to still find a body. But he wasn't there. God, let us check ourselves, lest our faith be small. And Lord, increase our faith today. In Jesus' name, amen. I find it interesting, upon the first reading, that Mary went out while it was still dark, early in the morning, and expected to find a body to anoint. So Jesus had been with them for all that time, 
telling them what was going to happen, performed all the miracles and signs that he had performed, and they still expected to find a body. His death occurred exactly as he said it was going to occur. The brutality was exactly as he warned them it would be. And they still expected to find a body. And I can't help but think that there are some of you here today that say the name of Jesus, but you still expecting to find a body. Well, I want to just reiterate what the angel said to her. He's not here. He's risen. See the place where they laid him? See this empty place? Now, John gives us two angels. One at the head and one at the foot. See where the Lord is not. And I would simply say to you today, look and see where the Lord is. Because He is living in the heart of every single person that's been to Calvary's tree. He he has lived in me since 1986. Okay? And I can remember that because that's the last year we had the bullnose Ford. Okay? That's kind of well, that's kind of, but that's 1986. So for, for 37 years, he's been right here, very present, very near. I don't believe in a Jesus that just simply exists in the pages of Scripture. And if you know Jesus, you don't either. We believe in a Jesus who not only exists in the pages of Scripture, but he exists right here. He exists right here. So we have to deal with the risen Christ. I like what A.W. Tozer had to say in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And now this is key. Try to get it. Try to understand it. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you really don't believe in a risen Christ and you still confess Jesus, all you're doing is preaching a gospel of a dead Jesus. There's no power in it, nothing to change anybody, nothing to save anybody, nothing to say, look, there's hope. Look, God can change your life and will because he does it because he's sovereign and he does things like that. But if your Jesus is still in the tomb because you do not believe and if you remember Jesus rebuked their unbelief, remember they came fully prepared to anoint a body. That's a lot of trouble. It was also kind of expensive. It didn't cost a unbelief cost you and me when we don't have it. Unbelief is probably the most cardinal sin that we commit, both before Christ and after. I believe I read that in the two in the New Testament, the derivatives of the Greek verb pistuo. From which we get believe, believing, believes, is over 250 times. Over 100 times they occur in the Gospel of John. And it's always in a verb form. Why do you think that is? Because we don't have a noun Jesus. We have a verb Jesus. We have not just a Jesus that lived... He is living. So, when we talk of Jesus, when we share about Jesus, please get out of your mind that those little oil paintings and things. And he's not Scotch-Irish either. 
okay? But try to understand. He had no form or comeliness that we should desire him. He wasn't beautiful in attraction. But everywhere he went and everyone that encountered him knew they were dealing with something very different. And that same Jesus that laid his life down is the very same Jesus that took it up again. He's the very same Jesus that we just read presented himself alive to his disciples who expected him to still be dead. Oh, Jesus! We didn't plan on you coming to dinner. You know, and to which he rebuked their unbelief. How many times, perhaps, Christian, have you ever had that where Jesus scolded you? You didn't expect me to come through, did you? No. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's how we kind of act with Jesus many times. But it's okay. Not to be unbelieving, but to Jesus, when you're his child, as just as we're patient with our children, or we should be, grandchildren. We're really patient with the grandchildren, to which the adult children are like, ah, we've already got that. That's not how it worked with us. Well, it ain't you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but go back. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. If you have a God that is limited in any way, is he God? That's not God. That's you superimposing your idea about what God must be like. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Then he goes on to say worship is pure or base. As the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. High or low thoughts of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do. But what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. We tend, by a secret law of the soul... To move toward our mental image of God. Do we not? This is true not only of the individual Christian. But of the company of Christians that compose the church. Always the most revealing thing about the church. Is her idea of God. Just as her most significant message. Is what she says about him. Or. And this is really important in our day. Or leaves unsaid. For her silence is often more eloquent than her speech. I keep, when I read that, I think about Dietrich Bonhoeffer as he was arrested by the Nazis in World War II Germany. And he was in the cell there. And his minister friends came and to see him. And they all would say, oh, Brother Bonhoeffer, why are you here? And if you've read the book, you know from Eddie Metaxas. Eric McTaxis, I believe, he would just simply reply, Oh, brother, why aren't you here? And the answer is because, well, if we're looking at our Mark narrative, do they believe? Do they really believe that this Jesus 
this living Christ who died, rose again? Do they believe the testimony of the church? See, one thing we fail to understand in our culture is, because we write everything out, right? In fact, we write too much. People say, you should write a book one day. There's lots of books. Lots of books. You can even be self-published, which means no one thinks your writing is good enough to take it. So we're just going to make you read it another way. (laughs) Okay? But there's so much words and verbiage going on. They were of an oral culture, largely. They took it very serious. Seen by over 500 witnesses at one time. There is no way they could have pulled that off had there not been a risen Christ. We'll get to more of that in a second. But let me ask you, what do you leave unsaid, O Christian? What does your silence say you believe about Jesus when I was praying about what to preach on today, I was like, God, I, what you got? <laughs> Lord, what, 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 are you, what are you going to do this year? <laughs> and I come up on 2 Corinthians 13, 4. It's amazing the kind of blessings you'll get when you just have a disciplined time of regular Bible study. God often, and I think preferably, chooses to use the ordinary means of grace to speak and mature us in the faith. And this is what I read. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 4. If you remember, the Corinthians are beginning to doubt if whether or not the Apostle Paul was truly an apostle. Because there are all those dissenters who come in to say, he's lying, he's not really an apostle, he's crooked, you can't believe anything that he says. And so here's what he said. For though he, Jesus, was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. And then he says, for we, the apostles, also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And what he was saying was, and I read this last night, I thought this was quite sobering. You don't want me to come and prove that part. Because the Lord God Almighty who called us to be apostles will certainly show you in a way that is very demonstrable. And you won't leave the same. And the tongue lashing you will receive. And the whelps to your soul will last a while. And I can only imagine what God might have revealed or done had Paul had to have pushed it to that level. Now these are people who raised the dead to life, healed diseases, spoke a word, and things of that nature, and because the the power of God was moving through them. And he says, For we are also weak like Jesus, but like Jesus rose from the grave by the power of God, as he lives, we, the apostles, we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. (laughs) Now, what does that mean? And I think they all knew. Uh Uh-oh. 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 But I want to note here the word lives. This is from the verb zao in Greek. And it's in the present active indicative case, meaning 
to resurrect. It, it is happened. It's happening. It's, it's to be or become possessing of life once more after being dead. Jesus is living. That's what he's saying. He lives. He living. <laughs> he living by the power of God. But how does he live? And this is where we get into this word power of God. Dunamis. It means dynamite. It means Jesus lives by the possession of controlling influence, often understood as manifesting influence over reality in a supernatural manner. He possessed that. Now, I want to heard something for Dr. Tom Elliff that was back in Georgia. I was going to some conferences out there, and he, he told some interesting stories about dynamite. Now, there's a lot of power in dynamite. Anyone here ever work with dynamite? Just a few? Really? That's interesting. You have. Wow. Pretty explosive. <laughs> I, I, I take them when I can. Uh, but here's what I learned about dynamite. If you want to blow up a cliff face, you don't just go set the dynamite down at the base of it, light it, and walk off. It needs to be in it. So, they drill. Or, perhaps they might shove it as far back and as tightly as they can into the crack, and then they light it. Because that power is coming from within and expanding, and as it expands, well, let's just say it changes everything. And that's exactly what the power of God does in the soul that he invades. That's exactly what happened to me in 1986. And that's exactly what happened to many of you in whatever year that Christ came into your soul. The dunamis of God came into your soul and went boom into life. And he's been fragmenting you ever since. And He is shaping you and has been shaping you because He lives. Because He lives. Now, the implications for us who believe is the same. But we shall live with Him. And in our case of Zao here, okay, live, Christ lives, present active indicative. This is future middle indicative. It's going to happen. That's the indicative. It's happening in Christ's case. For us, it's going to happen that we also, it says, will live like Him. Now, they're referring to resurrection. But it's future. I have not been resurrected yet. If I had, I would have the loveliest hair you could ever imagine. Okay? I, you guys would be like, oh, he's so beautiful. That's creepy. It used to be just stark blonde. Now it's not. Now it's just gone. Okay. But that's a future thing that's going to happen. Now why is it going to happen? Because He lives. Because He lives. Christ is called the first what of the resurrection? First fruits of the resurrection. That's right. I love ever-bearing strawberries. I have a Madibois variety in my garden. And uh, there's a new crop coming on this year. But they're ever bearing. 
they, they just start producing and they don't stop, right? Why would you want to have anyway? But, but there's always those first ones that become ready. I'm like, oh, good, you know, and you go by and you do chores and you eat your fill. And then all the little kids come over and clean you out. But this is a, that's, a, that's a future thing. Jesus was the first fruits. He proved what's going to happen. Many received their dead back to life when he did that. Now what about that testimony no one ever wants to talk about? So we have a present active Savior. And we have a future active hope. Okay. The second question we must answer is this, because he lives, what does that mean for me? I, I don't debate people on the legitimacy or, or the, uh, the reality of Christ's life. I just, you know, the fool says in his heart, the Bible says there is no God, and I, whatever. But I know when God is awakening a heart, there's things happening on the inside, right? So here, here's the implication. John chapter 1, verse 4, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Life and light. Jesus split time in half with his first advent. We went from B.C. to A.D. And in so doing, his death, burial, and resurrection makes us accountable for his light. You can no longer say, well, that's just theory. It's indisputable theory. For those who try to involve themselves in that kind of study, it's funny what always typically ends up happening to them. They surrender before their king and sovereign because he's alive. You have to understand, he's not still in the tomb. He's not a Jesus that was. He's a Jesus that is. He's not a Jesus that used to say. He's a Jesus that still says. And for those of us who know him, sometimes rather loudly. Mark Dever then, I think, wrote it well in his book, It Is Well. He says, the denial of the resurrection does not figure in early anti-Christian apologetics. Now, now get what I'm trying to say here. Apologetics. Apologia, apologeo in the Greek. This is where we get our word defense attorney from. Let's find a hole to make sure. Because let us show what's wrong so something can't be true. Right? Or let us prove by a logical argument that something is or isn't. Okay. Well, anti-Christian apologetics then would be showing by argument through, through uh, logic... And, and evidence, so forensically then, that something isn't true. Testimonies and experiences of people, all that. So, it's, he, he writes, a denial of the resurrection does not figure in early anti-Christian apologetics. Fascinating. That would be the obvious thing to attack if you wanted to stamp out this fledgling religion right at the get-go. They say there's 500 witnesses. Well, here's the thing. All their stories are different. He said he saw him over here. He said he saw him over there. And they said this. And they said that. See all the inconsistencies. Blah, blah, blah. But they didn't do that in any of our 
historic documents from the anti-Christian apologist of the day. But no one attacks it. Why do you think that is, he writes. He says, I think it was because too many people knew it was true. You just can't say that it didn't happen. There may have been bewilderment about its significance, and I would think, I don't even know, right? But the fact of Jesus' resurrection was never denied in early Christian or early anti-Christian apologetics. Jesus was clearly raised from the dead, and the argument was simply about what that could possibly mean. Now, I want to say this to you, and I say this every time we go door to door. Not every time, but I've used it a lot. Do you know what happens to the human body after three days dead? It liquefies inside. The gut bacteria starts liquefying. You're being broken down. Muscles liquefy. You're a bag of ooze. Okay? Three days. But not Jesus. I like what Jeff said earlier. <laughs> Jeff's always come for stuff like this. Well, it was a borrowed tomb because he didn't need a permanent one. I thought that was good. But what does it mean? Let me ask you this question. Today. If someone claimed what Jesus claimed, had a public execution, very visibly dead, was laid out for three days dead, and then rose back up and walked away, you would be thinking, what am I supposed to do with that? What does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? And today the question still comes, what will you do with this Jesus? Jesus said, and I'm working on this still, so bear with me. I'm going to take up a little bit of an adventure here. Jesus said that uh, the, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And when you put it in the dough, what does it have to do? And it has to spread throughout all. That's why you don't want, you got to let it proof, right? What happens if you rush the proof? Well, I guess you get a flat piece of bread in some places. It's lumpy, right? Dead bread. Well, that's interesting. Dead bread restaurant. Come get what we kill. I don't know. So, but then he also said, the kingdom of heaven's like mustard seed. And of course, he called it the smallest of the seed that he was using. And they said, it grows up into a mighty tree and the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. And of course they say, well, leaven's always meaning evil. Not always. The kingdom of heaven is just like leaven just then. So that wasn't evil. And the birds aren't always evil either. Always. You've got to take the context. But it says it's interesting because it's got to spread. Now we look around in our day. And we're this side of the cross 2,000 some years. We think, is it getting better or worse? And boy, there's lots of debate on that. And it just depends on where you are that day you wake up. But I'll tell you this much. Here's what we know. Regardless of where you go with this. Jesus changed things. From pagan unbelief, except for the Jews. 
we have the spread of the gospel around the world. Now, while we have many cultures that have turned away, like the Western uh, Anglo cultures and those things, this is only because of the resurrection. Now, we may be maybe smaller in number, but you also have to understand that elsewhere in the world today, in places like Iran and uh, uh, India and China and Syria and all of those really difficult places, the church is exploding. We can't hardly get that. So that leaven seems to be going everywhere. It does. But that's because of the resurrection. If, if there were no resurrection... It would have been wiped out. Do you understand that? People are dying for Christ. In sometimes the most brutal of ways. What would you, you can't just have faith in faith and willingly submit your family to the slaughter unless you know that God Almighty has ordained it and it's for His purpose and His glory that you willingly go. And that's where we get martus. You shall be my martus to the end of the age, the witness, martyr. Resurrection can do that. That's the proof of it. You know, we remember when Jesus ascended into heaven that the disciples were like, I, there's no way to be casual with that event if you think about it, right? No one's going to be on their cell phone. They're like, wow, and the angel said, why do you stand gazing, looking up into heaven? For this same Jesus who ascended will come in like manner. Of course, it talks about the clouds and all that stuff. It reminds me of a verse in Daniel chapter 7 that I just want to read real quick. Now, I, I admittedly say this to you, not to get into anything, but... This is out of Daniel 7, 13. He goes, I was watching in the night visions. Behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. And then it says that then, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. Now listen, we have those that are futurists saying that's not going to happen yet. We have the preterists that say that's already happened. And I'm not going to get into that, but I am going to say this. You wouldn't even be having a discussion about it if there were no resurrection. Resurrection. The resurrection. So, what are you going to do with the living Christ? Look with me in John chapter 3, verses 13 through 21. This is the implication of his light, of his life and light. I got it on the screen here. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven, ascended. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him, there's the pistuo verb of believing faith, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The implication is of the resurrection on the front positive side, you can live. And I want to say to you, if you don't know Jesus today, you aren't living. I was watching a movie once. It was a rather horrible movie about the, uh, the it was a movie that kind of depicted 
those who are fighting against the sex trafficking that goes on in the world, and it's a bad scourge. And one of these uh, people who were fighting got captured by one of the traffickers and, of course, was being mistreated. And, and he goes, you know what you are? You're the part that's left over when the snake sheds its skin. There's no, you're no, you have nothing in you. You're a dead man walking. I thought that's what it's like to be without the light and life of Christ. You look to everything external to fill you. You come up with your own theories and your own philosophies, not realizing because you don't want anything to disagree with you that you're true. But then when you get hit with the square word of Scripture, the word of God as the Bible is delivered through faithful preaching, something inside goes boom. You don't know what to do. Jesus says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And if you really want to know what Jesus is saying, you will perish if you don't have eternal life, right? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's clear that John is trying to get us to see that to not have Christ is to perish. You won't have everlasting life. There will be no resurrection to life for you. Only a resurrection to judgment. Now, now he keeps going. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. You see believes, believes, believes is happening. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Now, you know what that is? Present, active, indicative. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. And they do. Sin, the sin nature loves sin. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth, he who does the truth, comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Christians aren't perfect people. We are a people, though, that testify to our inconsistencies, though. And we are a people that constantly testify and depend upon the sufficiency of an ever-living Savior. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. I forgot the rest. Life is worth the living just because He lives. Thank you. Isn't it funny? For all those years that I heard those hymns. Criticizing the fact that there wasn't a screaming guitar up there too. (laughs) Getting into all of the new music and playing it myself. Only to realize that all I could remember was the old hymns. I don't know. I'm just saying, simple is good. 
John chapter 12, verse 44 through 50, then we're closing up. Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. So you have this thing. If you, if you reject Christ, you reject God. He who sees me sees him who sent me. Okay? I have come as light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. Because if you don't believe in Christ, you live in darkness. Do you know what we see being propagated on our, our TVs and cell phone screens right now is nothing but a wave of darkness. All the sexual identity problems, all of the whole great reset, one world, this, we got a better idea, let's all ride horses again. No, we can't because that'll kill the climate too problems. This is darkness. It's darkness and it's man trying to be his own savior, realizing not that he's destroying himself with sheer confusion. And no one ever talks about the suicide rates among that bunch. My wife was telling me that I guess here lately in Twin, they've had a suicide every week. Every week. Every week. If you... If you, if you live in a vacuum of darkness, I don't know what to tell you to hope in. It sure isn't politicians. It sure isn't in government handouts. If you raise a family in darkness, what are you, what, what are you passing on? Where's the hope? And these kids grow up. I'm going to quote my daughter. She's a Gen Z. Gen Z. I don't know what's after that. Gen Z plus one? I'm not sure. But she said this. I said, Jesse, I, I was saying, I'm a Gen Xer, right? And so I said, my generation just has, they're known as having the chip on their shoulders. We were the first latchkey kids and so on and so forth. And the, the feminist thing had gone through and all mamas wanted to go, go back to work because they can do it all and have it all. Okay? And of course, daddy had just decided to be whatever. And so... You know, a lot of us grew up like that, and there was no one home when we came home. You say go to church, I see you do it, but why? I don't know why. It's not changing the way you live, so don't tell me things. That's kind of our attitude as Gen Xers. And Gen Z, she goes, my generation just wants to die. And I'm like, hmm, my generation just wants to die. And she still sticks by that statement. My gen just wants to die because they don't have any of it. Unless you're fortunate enough to have a loving neighbor that brings you to church, teaches you the gospel. Unless your parents know Christ, you got a mama or a daddy that loves Jesus or grandparent that loves the Lord and spreads that light to you. But I'll tell you this much. You can take it. Should the day come, Depending on your eschatological preference. And the church is removed. Suddenly. The world will know. When that light is gone. But they'll also know. And they should know why we're here. Too. Because there's resurrection power. Jesus says. He who rejects me. And does not receive my words. Has that which judges him. 
the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Jesus is pictured in Revelation in what I believe is uh, apocalyptic imagery coming on a white horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. I know he's coming on the clouds. It doesn't say a horse, but it's emblematic of a conquering king. I don't think there's a real sword coming out of his mouth, but the word of God is the sword and he will smite the nations with it. In fact, he is doing so even now. It's uh, what we call a realized eschatology. Uh, it's, it's sometimes they've even be called a now and the not yet. That's all fun stuff, but we couldn't even have the discussion if there were no resurrection. And he says this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command that what I should say and that which I should speak, and I know that his command is everlasting life. <clears throat> there it is. Did you see it? It came on so fast, didn't it? The Father's command is everlasting life to those who believe on his name. Therefore, Jesus says, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And you know what? He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. Teaching them all things that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Flee to Jesus. Have you ever been so scared of running from a dog or something? You were so scared running, you just fell down. You just get so startled, you just fall down. You should be like that coming to the cross today. If you're here on this Resurrection Sunday, I want you to take home with you this truth. That He lives. And you're going to have to deal with Him. One way or another, your knee's going down. I pray to God Almighty, and we pray collectively as a church for you, that today, the Spirit of God would call you to himself in such a way that you would simply say, have mercy on me. Oh, Father, forgive me my sin. I plead Jesus as my Savior. JT is going to lead us in a song. If you need to come and die at this altar, come do so. Leave your old carcass behind. and Take a new one out of here. That's alive with a future active indicative 